Warren. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Here is your Herculean call for the day. To imagine the unimaginable. Imagine the unimaginable. Sounds like an exercise in futility, doesn't it? Maybe it is. But maybe not. It depends on what you mean by unimaginable. Because oftentimes, that which seems unimaginable actually is not. For instance, remember the Titanic? They said it was unsinkable. But the unthinkable happened to the unsinkable. They couldn't imagine the Titanic would sink. In fact, those on board couldn't imagine it either, even after it struck the iceberg. They just couldn't imagine it would sink. But it did. And it was the greatest commercial enterprise celebrated not only at that time from sea to not-so-shining sea and all across the various seas of the world, including the rich and the famous, but so is America. America was called the gem of the oceans. But is that true today? How could the gem of the oceans no longer have the shine of a gem? Is it necessary for us to imagine the unimaginable or are we seeing it in glaring HD color right before our eyes and still don't get it? Will Victor David Hansen, a very well-known columnist, author, commentator, has written a piece called Imagine the Unimaginable. It caught my attention. What a title. Imagine the Unimaginable. Here's what he said. Americans are now entering uncharted revolutionary territory. The traditional bedrocks of the American system are dissolving, resembling the violent last days of the Roman Republic. Wow. We don't have to go into the fullness of his article beyond those words. Americans are now entering uncharted revolutionary territory, the traditional bedrocks of the American system are dissolving. Well, how do we respond to that? How would you respond to that? We're going to respond to it right here on Viewpoint Today, and I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And indeed, our conversation here today will be transformative. If... You can imagine the unimaginable. It will be transformative if you can imagine the unimaginable. In 1945, yours truly saw the light of day. That is, I was born. I was born right at the end of World War II and just as the United Nations was being formed, 1945. 
three years before Israel became a nation in April, uh, May 14th, 1948. What an amazing time that was. And America took off like a rocket. And the America that had been called the gem of the oceans and that Abraham Lincoln had called the last best hope of earth began to soar in power and seeming glory, prosperity, like no nation ever in the history of mankind, including the Roman Empire. But here we are, just 77 years later. 77 years later. The length of a man's life Is Columbia still the gem of the oceans? Is America still the gem of the oceans? Has the unimaginable happened to the American imagination? Are we actually what we think we are? Or are we a figment of our own imaginations? Today on Viewpoint, we're going to take a very profound look at this subject. And again, I hope that you'll stay tuned. Again, it's conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. Remember, God never commanded us to be informed, but rather to be transformed. That you and I might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're supposed to prove that. Which means we might have to imagine the unimaginable. Now, what would the unimaginable look like? Well, Robert Bridge, a writer and columnist, having written for the Russian Times, asked this question. Does America need a religious revival to offset its godless liberalism? He said, faith is declining in the U.S. as ultra-liberal virtue signaling is replacing true virtue. He's right, isn't he? Does America need a religious revival to offset its godless liberalism? And if so, what would that look like? In 1992, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart right while I was in my law office there in Southern California. He said, son, you've been pleading the cause of men long enough now. I want you to plead my cause so the land is a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation in America's greatest crisis hour. I said, yes, sir. And almost immediately, we began the process of forming Save America Ministries to rebuild the foundations of faith and freedom and launch a national radio program called Viewpoint to confront the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. By October of 1993, Save America Ministries was formed. Shortly thereafter, a former professor of mine encountered me at a large congregation directly across the street from my law office for an event, and he said, Chuck, what are you doing these days? And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I, we've just formed Save America Ministries. And in his usual acerbic fashion, he said, well, at least you didn't bite off more than you could chew. Well, that's kind of a humorous response. And with every day and every week that passes, I realize 
Ain't no way I can ever save America, and neither can you, by yourself. But as Edmund Burke once said back in the 1700s there in not-so-jolly old England, he said, I can't do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I should do, and by the grace of God, I will do. In other words, he had to allow himself to imagine the unimaginable and then to participate in it. Well, what might that look like? At the very time when we were forming Save America Ministries, the prophet Leonard Ravenhill said revival shatters the status quo. We can no more have a spirit-born revival without a moral and spiritual upheaval than we can have an earthquake without destruction. The preservation of the nation demands nothing less than a great spiritual awakening. America, he said, is too young to die. Is that true? Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismeyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. The secular Victor David Hansen says we need to imagine the unimaginable because Americans are now entering uncharted territory, revolutionary territory. The traditional bedrocks of the American system are dissolving. Now, he was talking about secular bedrocks. But Leonard Ravenhill was talking about spiritual bedrocks. In fact, All of the secular benefits and blessings of America came not from the secular, but from the spiritual. Even Alexis de Tocqueville, that secular Frenchman who came over in uh, 1830 to discover what it was that made America great, concluded that very thing. He said it wasn't all of the great natural resources and all of those great things that America had to offer It wasn't her great businesses and buildings and all of that. He said, it was not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness that I understood the secret of her genius and power. Then he went on to say, America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Question, is America good today? Are Americans good today? Good from God's viewpoint, not from their own viewpoint, not from a virtue-signaling viewpoint, but from God's viewpoint. So, Robert Bridge, the commentator, writing for the Russian Times yesterday, said faith is declining in the U.S. as ultra-liberal virtue-signaling replaces true virtue. In the misguided belief, he says, that virtue signaling and political correctness have anything to do with morality, Americans have cast aside traditional religious belief and joined the church of liberalism, a most bizarre cult. In case anyone missed the rainbow-colored memo 
now plastered on everything from crosswalks to flagpoles to social media accounts, America has entered the second week of Pride Month. And heaven help the heathen who does not genuflect to the LGBTQ plus juggernaut, he writes. Since hell has no fury like a virtue signaler shunned, it will be interesting to see how the story develops. For anyone inclined to believe the madness ends there, you haven't been paying attention. Just about every corporation from NASCAR, the racing organization that should be solely focused on fast cars and fan safety, to FIFA, the Switzerland-based football body, are running hog wild with a social justice mob, all with the intention of creating a more inclusive environment. Virtue signaling. But brace yourself, he said, the ride has just begun. If you had to guess which all-American institution would never genuflect at the altar of sexual diversity, which would it be? What do you think? Well, he said, if you answer the U.S. Marine Corps, you may want to have a seat. Because the commanders of those tough beach-storming jarheads have shown their true colors, ladies and gentlemen. And he said, I regret to inform it's very far from khaki. Throughout June... The U.S. Marine Corps takes hashtag pride in recognizing and honoring the contributions of our LGBTQ service members, the Corps official account tweeted, alongside a helmet adorned with rainbow-colored bullets. These are the people, friends, that you're trusting to be the tough guys to defend our freedoms. But even that couldn't compare to what was on tap in Dallas, Texas. In celebration of the drag queen community that takes up quarters somewhere in the LGBTQ plus love shack, the Mr. Gay Club hosted an event titled Drag the Kids to Pride. And wouldn't you know it, that's exactly what some parents did. Ian Miles Chong observed, involving kids in such lewd performances is pure deviance, not pride. But like an increasing number of Americans, said Mr. Bridges, I no longer recognize the place of my birth. Neither do I, friends. In a few short years, the United States has gone from being an upright, God-fearing nation anchored on solid Christian principles to a modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah. What a message coming from the Russian Times yesterday. According to a 2019 Gallup survey, Church membership in the United States was 70% or higher from 1937 through 1976, declining modestly to an average of 68% in the 1970s through the 1990s. The past 20 years, however, have seen a massive drop, with just 50% of Americans saying they belong, even belong to a church, synagogue, or mosque, let alone go there. So what has led America to its current state? where a godless, ultra-liberal mindset has gripped the country, asked Mr. Bridges, perhaps as a way to replace that spiritual foundation in their lives. Americans began to confuse politically-based virtue signaling and political correctness with true moral behavior, which has been grounded in religion up till now. Historically, he says the church provided a sound moral foundation for society at large. But today, that foundation is crumbling. Just look at the Presbyterian Church, 
Just look at the United Methodist Church. Just look at so many of the other denominations, friends, including the Mennonites now, who have just voted to approve same-sex marriage. Would you have ever believed it? So Mr. Bridges says the foundation is crumbling, obvious from every city street corner, and the weeds of social decay are taking over. And it will be the end of Western civilization America, it's high time for a religious revival, he said, to confront the excesses of liberalism. Our great country depends upon it. Well, that's what Leonard Ravenhill said 30 years ago. In his little book, America is Too Young to Die. But is it? Can we imagine the seeming unimaginable that the land of the free is no longer the home of the brave, but is actually becoming the home of the depraved. Hmm. So as Leonard Ravenhill wrote, the preservation of America demands nothing less than a great spiritual awakening if America is too young to die. But how would that happen? For the past 40 years, the cry has gone up across America for revival, moral and spiritual revival. Why don't we have it? We don't have it. In fact, many people have tried to pretend that we had it, a pretense of revival, saying, well, you know, uh, when, when things really got tough during COVID, people became more religious. That's the latest report this week. Really? Has it changed their moral behavior? Has it changed their attitudes toward the Creator? Has it changed their attitudes toward humbling themselves and obeying the Creator and repenting for the wickedness that has taken over our country? No. It hasn't had one shred of import in that regard. All it is is a response to fear and unrest. But it hasn't installed the fear of the Lord at all. You see, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of revival. Because if there's no fear of the Lord in your life, you don't have any sense that you need revival. You don't have any sense that you need to repent. Because after all, God loves you so much that he will just wink at everything you do, everything you think, no matter how perverse, no matter how disruptive, no matter how a disobedient it might be to his word, because after all, he knows your heart. Well, that's exactly the problem, friends. He does know your heart. He knows all of our hearts. And the heart of the matter is the, heart, is the problem, isn't it? Jeremiah was right. The heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, again, the Russian time speaks to us. Here it is again. Yesterday. Involving kids in drag queen shows is deviance, not pride. Wow, does this have to come from the Russian Times and not from American newspapers? No, American newspapers are too perverse. Mm. Then... Another article came out yesterday. 
how your public schools are becoming immersed in radical LGBT ideology and pornography. We're now seeing the horror of teachers and guidance counselors seducing our kids into transgenderism, including encouraging students to transition their sex with name changes, clothing and appearance choices, and invented personal pronouns while keeping parents in the dark. And in school libraries, books featuring repulsive and obscene pornography, including how-to books on depraved homosexual acts, sex acts, are filling the shelves, and all of this is militantly defended by staff, administrators, even public officials, while parents who complain are vilified. In addition to that, the Epic Times reports in its latest issue, Lori Smith, owner of 303 Creative. She's a website designer seeking Supreme Court protection for her First Amendment's right. She is a Colorado-based website designer and is receiving death threats over her Supreme Court-bound religious freedom case. What's that about? She just doesn't want to have to do creative website design for homosexual purposes. She said, I can't do that. It's contrary to my Christian faith, and so they went after her. That's what Colorado does. It's one of the most wicked states in the country today. Colorado. Now, all of this has made its way across to our Middle East, what should we say, um, namesake, Israel. Israel's gay pride parades reveal just how far that nation has strayed from its biblical foundations. Thousands took part in the annual Gay Pride Parade in Jerusalem on June 2nd of this year. More than 7,000 Israelis marched in the Jerusalem Pride Parade, the city that God called to cho- put to, chose his name to put there in Jerusalem to celebrate the LGBTQ plus lifestyle. But that's nothing compared to Tel Aviv. One of the city's biggest events every year Over a quarter of a million people attending their gay pride parade before COVID. And Friday, it kicked off with a bang. Today, this very day, the Tel Aviv Pride Parade kicked off with a bang with thousands in attendance donning rainbows and glitter. The thousands in attendance dressed to impress with drag queens as tall as the heavens, left and right, and proud couples marching hand in hand. All an outrageous abomination to the God of heaven, the God who made and preserved us a nation, and the God who chose Israel. So, that having been said, are we to just cry against the darkness? Or are we to bring light to the darkness? For the balance of the program here today, we want to talk about how to imagine the unimaginable. Not the unimaginable of the demise of the country, because that's already well underhand. In order 
But the unimaginable of a possible, realistic, genuine, heartfelt, life-changing, nation-changing, spiritual revival. That's what we want to focus on for the balance of the program today. And I want to provide to you, we have not offered this book in a long time. It's our best-selling book ever, Renewing the Soul of America. Renewing the Soul of America. It's an $18 book, yours for $15 on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. I urge you to get a copy of it as we head in toward Flag Day next week and then our national birthday on July 4th. What a blessing this book will be to you. An inspiration, a tremendous inspiration. It may even cause tears to pour down your face, as many have reported, even as they read the first chapter. Renewing the Soul of America, $15 on our website. Save us. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a For Pastors Only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, Prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today, in this segment of our program, we want to imagine the unimaginable that is, that there could be a massive spiritual revival in our country that would change everything would be change we could really believe in. Change that the Congress wouldn't have anything to do with initially. Change that no president of the United States or any party would have anything to do with initially. It would rise up from we the people. It would rise up in the hearts of we the people. And it would begin in the hearts of those who profess the name of Christ. Because that's where judgment is going to begin. The scripture says judgment begins at the house of God. Therefore, genuine spiritual revival must begin in God's house. If there is any group that must be able and willing to imagine the unimaginable, including spiritual revival, it must be those who profess the name of Christ. If they cannot imagine it, then how in the world do you expect the pagans to do so? But unfortunately, that's exactly what the culture wars have been about for the past 40, 50 years, asking the pagans to live like Christians when the Christians increasingly lived like pagans. It's a pain. Can you imagine God 
weeping, the angels weeping over the parapets of heaven over such a nation as this. So I want to share with you a very, very interesting story or account. As with ancient Israel, our nation and her people drifted after the Revolutionary War. They became very, very, in our prosperity, we became very proud and began to rebel against the God who had given us a first great awakening. Early in the 19th century, America was on the move to a degree undreamed of by previous generations, but the people forgot the God who had made and preserved us a nation. There was a wilderness to conquer, money to be made, empires to build. The nation was losing her men to money or mammon. So in that context, how did God get America's attention? Which he did, by the way. Are you interested to know? Well, I'm about to let you know. It's one of the most hope-filled accounts in all of American history. And I've included it in my book, Renewing the Soul of America, in the chapter called Decision and Destiny. So how did God get America's attention spiritually? It may be shocking to you, You might have to imagine the unimaginable. He retained a lawyer, Charles Grandison Finney. That's right, a lawyer. You may not think very highly of lawyers, but God has used lawyers profoundly in the spiritual history of our country. Beginning back in 1630 with John Winthrop, a 40-year-old godly lawyer who came over here from not-so-godly England and brought four boatloads of Puritans with him and wrote, penned before they landed, a model of Christian charity, which some historians have said is the most profound and clearest expression of the American vision ever penned. That's why I included it in the appendix of our book, Renewing the Soul of America. Oh, my friend, you need to read it. You really do. We just don't know about our history. Most of us don't know about it. Even our pastors don't really know about it. Because if they did, things would be different. Well, Charles Finney was unquestionably the most impressive religious revolutionary that America had ever produced. America would never again be the same. Finney, whose father had been a soldier in Washington's Continental Army, had almost no religious training as a child. So see, there's hope for you. If you didn't have any training like that. At age 16, Charles Finney became a rural schoolmaster, but in 1818 he was persuaded to enter the legal profession. A leading New York attorney, Judge Benjamin Wright, opened his office to the 26-year-old law student. After an admitted heathen, although an admitted heathen, Finney's heart yearned for truth and that the God which he had previously and privately read of in the Bible would become real. So, here's what happened. The evening of October 7th, 1821, 
Finney said, I made up my mind that I would settle the question of my soul's salvation at once and make peace with God. So in his law office, late one night, he said, I wept like a child repenting of sin. We don't even talk about sin anymore. Our pastors seldom even talk about sin, unless they want to talk about the pagans and their homosexuality. They don't want to talk about the divorce in the church. They don't want to talk about the fornication, the cohabitation. They don't want to talk about the adultery. They don't want to talk about the pornography. They don't want to talk about anything as it relates to their own people because they're money-hungry and power-hungry and don't want to disturb the status quo. But you have to disturb the status quo, friends, if there's going to be a spiritual awakening. Well, God stirred another fire within Charles Finney almost immediately. In his memoirs, he records, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit without ever having thought any thought that there was such a thing. And the Holy Spirit descended upon me. It was like a wave of electricity and waves of liquid love. It seemed like the very breath of God, he said. Then, city after city began to feel the electricity as that love of God was poured out in power like a flame out of Benny's mouth. The Second Great Awakening, the most powerful spiritual revival in America's history spanning 25 years, was launched with Finney's ordination in 1824 in Rochester, New York. And it would never, excuse me, ordination in 1824, and Rochester, New York would never again be the same. So what is it about Rochester? Oh, friend, this is a story. This is one to imagine the unimaginable. Even Finney couldn't imagine it. America was exploding. New towns sprang up almost overnight, and one of those was Rochester, New York, which in 1812 was unbroken wilderness, but by 1830 had become a booming marketing and manufacturing center. In Finney's words, Rochester was a young city full of growth and ambition and full of sin. The inhabitants were intelligent and enterprising in the highest degree, he said. And Finney at that time, had planned to go to Utica, where he was expected to start meetings. He had declined going to Rochester because, as he said, of his perceived spiritual resistance. But God changed his mind that night. Here's what he said. I felt ashamed to shrink from undertaking the difficulties, he told his wife. Meetings were begun at Third Presbyterian Church, where they extended an invitation but were without minister, and religion was in a low state. That way in most Presbyterian churches today, isn't it? Mrs. M., the wife of a prominent lawyer in that city, was one of the first converts. Finney said she was a woman of high standing, a lady of culture and influence. The lady who introduced her was a Christian woman who had found that she was very troubled and persuaded her to come to the meeting. Mrs. M., had been a worldly woman, very fond of society, a very proud woman. She afterward told Charles Finney that when she first came to Rochester, she greatly regretted it and feared there would be a revival which would greatly interfere with her pleasures and amusements. But the pride of her heart broke, and with tears streaming down her face, she turned her face toward heaven. In Repentance The conversion of Mrs. M. caused much excitement in Rochester. 
Finney's meetings were thronged with lawyers, physicians, and merchants. Lawyers especially became anxious about their souls. Can you believe that? Talk about imagining the unimaginable, right? It was like a spiritual explosion. For weeks, as Fiddy preached, people from all walks of life flooded in to have their hearts reborn and revived. Letters went far and near. The work spread like waves in every direction to surrounding states. The great majority of the leading men and women of the city were converted, said Finney. As the revival swept through the town, converting most of the influential people, the change of the city's order, sobriety, and morality was wonderful. Finney ended up spending six months in Rochester. But the transforming power of that spiritual revival endures by the testimony of its citizens even to this very day, friends. It's pretty amazing. Rochester, in two unusual studies done half a century apart, was designated the kindest city in America. I still have the article from the Reader's Digest proclaiming Rochester the most caring city in America. According to that heart-stirring, nation-inspiring study, Charles Grandison Finney's coming to town was the pivotal experience that changed Rochester. Here's what it says. He scorched their consciences, angrily denounced the evils of selfishness, and deliberately aimed his message at the wealthy and powerful. It was Rochester's moral and spiritual rebirth. Now Rochester is a city of more than a quarter million people and home to some of America's great corporations. And Finney's powerful message is still felt generation after generation stayed in the city and preserved the Finney legacy. So Rochester became a city where love for one's fellow man was more than an empty phrase, said the Reader's Digest. Oh, but God has no grandchildren, friends. What happened in Rochester then needs to happen again because the very church... Third Presbyterian Church in Rochester that Charles Grandison Finney went to and spent six months preaching has become a homosexual centerpiece of Rochester. Who would have ever Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Marching back in time just under a century... 
Before Charles Grandison Finney went to Rochester, New York, there was another dark cloud that could be seen rising over the American horizon. The colonists were very angry with King George and the British Parliament, and there were threatenings and slaughterings going on that produced the great great revolution, the Revolutionary War. But before that happened, it had been 134 years since the men of the Virginia Company landed at Cape Henry Jamestown in Richmond when Jonathan Edwards stepped up as a visiting preacher in the pulpit at Enfield, Connecticut in 1741, July 8th. Just one month away from now, friends. And the colonies would never again be quite the same. They had to imagine the unimaginable, which they could not imagine. So here was Jonathan Edwards reading in a monotone voice from his scripted sermon. The 36-year-old preacher told the parishioners, quote, The wrath of God is like waters that are damned for the present. They increase more and more and the rise and higher and higher till an outlet is given and the longer the stream is stopped, the more rapid and mighty its course when once it is loosed. One eyewitness in that sermon said, before the sermon was done, there was a great groaning and crying out through the whole house, the church. Edwards concluded that day, saying, let everyone that is out of Christ now awake and fly from the wrath to come, and awake they did. That sermon, the most famous sermon in all of American history, is called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, mocked today, even from the pulpits of America. It became the most noted but the most hated sermon in American history. A single revival sermon, caused a tidal wave through the colonies known as the First Great Awakening. Tens of thousands of people fell on their faces in repentance. Christians were revived. Pagans were converted. John Wesley, the father of Methodism, who would weep over what's happened to Methodism today, preached powerfully throughout the colonies, followed by the impassioned George Whitfield, who upped the ante as thousands upon thousands of people cried out in deep contrition for God's mercy. The hearts of the people were being prepared for the conflict just ahead that would determine the nation's destiny, the Revolutionary War. Well, Charles Finney is the one who laid the foundation for the Second Great Awakening that happened before the Second Great War, the Civil War, that was not civil at all. Rochester had experienced a moral and spiritual rebirth because of the preaching of one man. A lawyer that God called, tapped, to make a difference, to speak for him. And revival always produces reaction. Finney minced no words. He was direct, he was forceful. Clergy and laity alike criticized him for his confrontational approach. A banker, a leading citizen of Utica in New York, when he first heard Finney, he says, the man is mad. I should not be surprised if he set the town on fire. He refused to attend the meetings, but later affirmed to the director of the bank, say what you will, there's something very remarkable in the state of things at Rome. 
Certainly no human power or eloquence has produced what we see there. There is no accounting for it unless there's something divine in it. And shortly afterward, that banker was converted. So here's the question. What would it take for God to truly touch you? What would he have to do to touch the deepest recesses of your heart? Are you spiritually numbed, busy, like entrepreneurial citizens of Rochester, the lawyers, the doctors, the bankers, the pastors, the printers? The reality, my friends, is our hope and healing has always been revealed in spiritual revival that leads to moral change. It will dramatically change our lives. So as Leonard Ravenhill, the prophet of 30, 40 years ago said, revival shatters the status quo. We can no more have a spirit-born revival without moral and spiritual upheaval than we can have an earthquake without destruction. The preservation of our nation demands nothing less than a great spiritual awakening. He said, America is too young to die. Do you agree with that? If you agree with that, it's going to require something of you. Because it always begins in God's house. Now, those two revivals, the first Great Awakening and the second Great Awakening, occurred just before and in preparation for the greatest test that this country would ever face, and that is the Revolutionary War and then the Civil War. So what kind of a war are we facing now? Oh, you don't think we're facing a war? Oh, my dear friends, the war we're now facing is a hundred times more dangerous than the Revolutionary War and the Civil War combined. It is an ultimate war for your soul, for the soul not only of our country, But remember, this country, as Abraham Lincoln said, was the last best hope of earth. So then where's the hope? Would you like to know where that hope is going to come from? The alternative hope? It's going to come from a figure called the Antichrist. Yes, you heard it correctly. That's where the hope is going to come from, not only for America, but for the world. And people resisting the move of the Spirit of God in their lives will succumb and embrace that godless counterfeit. And then, after a couple of years, won't even know what hit them. As the carnage pours out from his mouth and his heart for satanic destruction of the entire earth. Ushering in the only last best hope of earth, and that is the second coming of Christ. Charles Finney was the galvanizing force of the Second Great Awakening. His revival meetings covered cities small and great most of the industrializing states in pre-Civil War America. No more impressive revival has occurred in American history. 
What happened in Rochester was the fullest expression of what took place elsewhere, writing that which was wrong among we the people. As was said of Rochester, so so it could be said of a modified manner of the whole country. The atmosphere seemed to be affected. You could not go upon the streets and hear the conversations except on religion. The entire character of the city was modified because so many of the converts were leaders of the community who would remake society and politics. The man who became district attorney soon after the revival spoke concerning the drop in the crime rate not only in 1821 but for years afterward. It affected all of the churches and the denominations. It brought massive and permanent changes to our country and the world, including fueling the abolitionist movement. Then Harriet Beecher Stowe concluded all of that with her book, Uncle Tom's Cabin, with amazing words that we should hear today. And we should understand these words not just with regard to the issue of slavery, but with regard to all of the sinful, enslaving issues that are taking this country to perdition. Here's what she said. A day of grace is yet held out to us. Both north and south, all of us have been guilty before God. And the Christian church has a heavy account to answer not by combining together to protect injustice and cruelty and making a common capital of sin is this union to be saved, but by repentance, justice, and mercy. There's a gathering storm. And uh, the storm, you you can see the lightning, you can hear the roaring thunder, God wants to display his power and his glory in our country. He really does. But he has to rely upon you and upon me. Because God gave dominion to humankind, man in the earth. Here's the problem. Charles Finney did not mince any words. My father actually wrote his thesis for his master's degree on the life of Charles Finney. Powerful impact. It was said that when Charles Finney opened his mouth, he was aiming a gun. When he spoke, bombardment began. The effects of his speaking were almost unparalleled in modern history, and over a million people were converted through his ministry. In an age where there were no amplifiers of mass communications, he spearheaded a revival which altered, literally altered the course of history. Such was the impact of a lawyer turned preacher. Every single one of us, you don't have to be a lawyer and you don't have to be a preacher. But you do have to be who God called you to be. You have to be courageous. As Joshua was spoken to, to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, Moses said, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble. 
For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The first act of courage is the act of humility, of humbling ourselves before God in spirit and in truth, really seeking his heart as to where we have gone astray, where we have been dissing his word, where we have embraced the authority of the culture as opposed to the authority of Christ himself. Where we have allowed ourselves to be completely immersed in the sea of relativity and the cultural demands and have forgotten to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. For righteousness alone exalts a nation, my friends. But sin is a reproach to any people, including in God's own house. Is it time? Is there hope? You see, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's the problem. We want the promises without the premises. We don't like righteousness. Because righteousness is right-waysness from God's viewpoint. And we don't like it. We have been in rebellion for the past 50, 60 years. In fact, 70 years. And we're seeing the carnage pour out on the streets of America as a result. You, my friend, and I are the hope of our country. It's time for us to repent and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then trust him to bring to pass that will glorify his name in our country. Get a copy of the book, Renewing the Soul of America. It's an $18 book, yours for $15 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255, writing a check at $5 for postage and Revival. Imagine the unimaginable. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.